and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Tonight we have Paul Jay, which uh, if you're any other church, you'd know him as Paul Hitz, but he is not Paul Hitz here. He will always be Paul Jay. So. But Paul Jay is a missionary to Baffin Island. Um, he and his boys are down here to help uh, his mother. And so when I heard that, I, fi I figured, hey, it'd be a great idea to have him come and bring the word of God to us tonight. Paul Jay, if you want to go ahead and come forward, we'll open up our Bibles with you. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Appreciate that. It's good to be here home and uh, it's nice to be called Paul J that's totally fine <laughs> oh yes he's waving at me thank you all right it's good to be back in hometown so not everybody I see some some new faces and uh, but a lot of old familiar faces not that you're old just uh, <laughs> as in we've had some time together right in the past so Glad to be here. Uh, we are uh, one of your missionary families to the Arctic, the northeast corner of Canada. And um, my, my wife and uh, some of the kids are probably watching now. Is it right here? I can wave at them. Okay. So hello, sweetheart. And uh, it's good to uh, just be able to come back and be, to be with my mom. And uh, it's a three-hour flight from where we live. Uh, we're on an island, so it's a three-hour flight about... Um, 900 miles straight south from where we live to Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada, if you're familiar with that. And then uh, it took another hour 
or uh, hour plus, no, about an hour to get to Toronto, which you know Toronto is one of the biggest cities in Canada, right? And then I was surprised from Toronto to St. Louis, which is still a ways from here, was over two hours flying just to go that far south again. So we're several thousand, uh, a couple thousand or more miles north of here and to the east. So we had a blizzard uh, the week. Uh, we left on a Monday, this past Monday, and uh, we uh, had a blizzard on Thursday, and we got really pretty buried in snow. So that was, uh, the kids were all excited. We had a, about a 10-foot snow drift in, on the back of our house. So our kids were each getting a plot, and they were digging straight down, making their each, each their little house, you know, and uh, everybody had room, and they just had to keep throwing it up and out. So uh, <laughs> had lots of fun with that. And it's, it's here to stay until probably May or June. We will not see the last of that snow. So that's uh, just normal life for us, shall we say. And we're on the southern part of the island. We're not on the northern part of the island, which is another maybe 700 miles north. There are communities even further up. And they have complete darkness in the winter, whereas we get almost complete darkness, but we still see the sun every day if it's only for maybe three hours and a half on our shortest days. So we are just below the Arctic Circle. Um, just a little update on, on things there. Not Nothing... Uh, too big to to do uh, to say, but just we are continuing on with our church plant there. Um, but you know, one of the blessings of seeing the Lord work is, while I'm on this trip for a few Sundays, I won't be there. We have two of our men that are just taking care of the church while I'm gone, and and so uh, that's just a blessing to see uh, one of the men that was uh, that has, is doing the preaching. Uh, we we actually married him and his wife, and they have a couple children now, and they're local. They're from the north. They grew up there, and. Uh, they're just a sweet couple and growing in the Lord. So some neat things. So very thankful for that. And then uh, I guess the other kind of big thing that uh, has actually an answer to prayer. Some of you probably prayed for this. I've been mentioning for, it's been a couple years in the, in the making, but just last month I went down to our local RCMP, our police detachment, and I was uh, not really sworn in, but I signed the paperwork and they took photos and all that. And I was uh, officially made a chaplain at our division. So uh, it's kind of a neat part of history. As far as we know, there has never been a chaplain for the RCMP in the north. So it's kind of a neat little part of history that the Lord has, has worked out. And God willing, there'll be another one uh, soon. And that's our friend, uh, Pastor Nathan Jones in Rankin Inlet, our next closest uh, missionary friends, 1,000 miles west, <laughs> but in the same territory. So if you would uh, keep that in prayer, though, for opportunities as well to... Uh, just to uh, support those families and look for opportunities for the Lord. All right, so we will be looking here tonight in the book of Romans. If you would turn there, please. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and it's interesting what, uh, just how this kind of came together. Pastor Jason was preaching this morning, and as soon as you kind of gave, he gave the, uh, uh, the, 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 the theme of the message, I thought, hmm, well, maybe that's why God directed me towards this tonight, because it's uh, almost the, it's, it's essentially the exact same theme, but from a New Testament, <laughs> from the New Testament side of it, right? And uh, I love that because, you know, God is the same. There's not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the new, right? There's no difference. The Christ who died on the cross is the, is the one who created the world by his, by his words, right? The God of the old is the God of the new. 
And so these things are truly the same. But this is something in Romans chapter 5 that God has been trying to uh, work in and teach me. And recently, I, w- I was able to take a trip with uh, the same two boys that are with me here, Paul, John, and Kenny. And we were able to go together with some friends on a boys' camp, but we took them to Israel. And we went to Israel. And during my trip to my, this, this was my second time, but uh, the boys' first time, we were discipling some young men on this trip. And this was uh, something that the Lord really tried to bring home to me. And it was something to help teach our, the, the young men as well. So we'll just read here, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we'll speak about, uh, and try to just take this apart. Just these five verses tonight. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, God tells us, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. What we can see here tonight in this passage, very clearly, just five verses, is that God wants us to know that the difficulties we experience in life are blessings. Full stop. The difficulties we experience in life, in fact, many of them are not even to be avoided. Though we try so hard to, often, don't we? The path of least resistance, right? They are something to be viewed very specifically. And unless we view, the, as we'll, and we'll look at what some of these words mean, but unless we view these, uh, as it's, the word here is uh, uh, tribulations, pressures, unless we view them the same way God does, we will not get the blessing from them, nor will we see any value in them. We must get God's perspective. And what is said in just these five verses, I believe, is so fundamentally important that if we would with all of our heart truly grasp what God is saying here, even with what Pastor Jason preached this morning, it's the same, th- same idea, it's the same truth that's throughout Scripture about the difficulties or storms, you might say. These, this truth should affect every corner of your life, every aspect, every aspect of your life, this should touch in some way. And if we would get a hold of it, truly, truly get a hold of it, it would fundamentally change our life. It would fundamentally change our attitude, our perspective. And just, I don't think it could be under, uh, could be overstated how fundamentally important this is. I'd like you to just notice tonight, we have five verses in our, the way it was divvied up here. Of course, we know that when God gave these words through these men, right, that they didn't have verses marked there, right? So if you notice, even in the King James, they, they, I'm pretty sure they went right along with the original Greek text. There's five whole verses, but how many sentences are there? It's only two. Isn't that interesting? So there's a lot said in just two sentences. But then if we take it even further, we can break it down. I think it's helpful to notice also in these five verses, it's not just two sentences, but it is also five main verbs, right? 
There are five key statements, and everything else that's said in these five verses just support the five main statements, right? So we have some young ones here. Remember what our verbs are? These are our, our action words, right? We have five key statements connected to five main verbs, and then everything else supports it. So we can really just take what God is saying and break it down into these five things. But we're really only going to focus on the last two. But let's just quickly mention what they are. In verse 1, we have the main verb, we have peace. And then in verse 2, you have we have access. And then also in verse 2, understood, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then, of course, in 3, we have we glory. And then in verse 5, hope makes not or doesn't make ashamed. So you have five, five main verbs here in the text as God gave it in the original. And you can see it pretty clearly there in, in the English as well. Those are the five main, main statements. Now, so if we want to break this down, I want you, I'd like us to notice here. And I need to do something with my... This did this to me before. There we go. Maybe that'll do it. I don't normally use this thing this way. I apologize, but um, it's because I should have asked somebody for a printer or something, but we'll see if that works. Um, just notice here, with the five main verbs, notice the first three are very, what we would consider positive, right? Very positive statements, right? We have peace with God. We have access by faith. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. These are things that if you preach you know, this, if you um, go to someone and talk about what, it's, what it means to be born again, what it means to know Christ as your Savior, say even witnessing to a lost person, these are very, uh, most people could look at this and say, yes, I want that. That's, that's good. That's great. But then in verse 3, he gives a major contrast and goes to the, third, the, third, uh, sorry, the fourth and the fifth main statements. And that's what we want to focus on here is he says that not only so, Major contrast, but we glory in tribulations also. Now, what's interesting is the word rejoice right before and the word glory are the identical word in the original language here. So there's no difference really in meaning. When they translate it, they're just trying to give different nuances to that word, okay? So we could literally say that we glory in the hope of the glory of God. We, we, find, we find a value in that. And we also glory or we rejoice in tribulations. So glory, uh, rejoicing, same idea here about tribulations. I'd like us just to notice some things here about glorying in tribulations. First of all, notice that there's a process here. Notice where we start. We start with glorying, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but we start with uh, valuing, finding value, a perspective, God's perspective, God's view, God's way of seeing pressures and difficulties. And then there's a process that it goes through, and what does it end in? We'll jump to the end. Hope. And I know a lot of, you know, the way we use hope today in modern English, right? We use hope kind of like a wishful thing, right? I, I hope that uh, my my favorite team will win something, right? Or I hope, uh, we were at the men's camp out and some guys were fishing, right? They were probably hoping to catch a fish, but uh, they didn't, right? And uh, that's the kind of wish, wishing, right? But this word, as God uses it in the, in the scriptures, in the New Testament, Greek language, this is very much the idea of expecting, expectation, 
not a, oh, I, I sure wish that Christ will return. When the scripture says that we hope for the return of Christ as believers, it's not saying, oh, we just wish it'll work out. It's that we have evidence and we have confidence. We have expectation of his return. So this, what God is saying here is we, it starts with there's a, a, there's, there's a way, a perspective with God's wisdom to be able to value pressures. That's what the word tribulations is talking about, pressure, difficulties, trials. And there's a process in which God can grow us to get to the end of it, and the end of it is hope, expectation. I, I, I beg you to consider what is society today dying for lack of? Hope. If we didn't learn anything from the last couple of years or however long it's been now of, of COVID and all the different things going on with it, regardless of what aspect you actually look at it, the response of, the, of people really was hopelessness for so many. There, you could see a lot of fear. You could see a lot of concern. And we see even today... Things like, of course, in the north, we see lots of suicides. That's very high. But we see across America, suicides are in great number. We see an increasing number of dependents, an increasing, um, just as far as per capita, we see an ever-increase in people's need for substances to just get through life. From a biblical perspective, what, what, what's, what's missing? Hope expectation, being able to, to look at where I'm at now, look at the world around me and say there is something that I know is going to happen. There is, there is a future, there is hope, there is expectation. The world is dying for a lack of hope. But would it be fair tonight to say that even in the house of God, born again children of God often are dying spiritually for lack of real biblical hope. It happens in marriages. It happens with parenting, right? It happens in, uh, for pastors, for missionaries, right? It happens in all, all levels of our life. We desperately need hope. And we all want to have this kind of confidence, don't we? But I want to ask you tonight, do you want it bad enough to, to go through what it takes to get it? You don't get hope by throwing money in an offering plate, right? You don't get hope by um, any way other than God's way. You know, this is actually why you can make a lot of money in so many ways, selling hope. Anybody ever looked at any kind of these different uh, weight loss things? I'll confess, I have. You know, you look and you're trying to lose some weight, right? You know why some of these things and why there's money to be made? Because people essentially are selling hope. Right? If you do this, you'll get this result. Or business things or whatever, whatever it might be. There's a lot of money to be made if you can convince people that what you're offering them gives them some type of hope. And people will often spend great money and great effort to try to get that. Tonight, I'd like us just to focus on this process that God gives to us, reveals. It's only in a few words. And yet, each word is weighty. Each relationship is important. And if we don't see it from God's perspective, if I fail to share it the way that God communicated it, then that's, it's a real loss. A loss for us not to understand, a loss for us to go away without learning what God would have us to learn. So, what does he say here? We glory in tribulations. This idea of glory is truly finding value, right? 
What is glory? Glory, in a sense, is value. If we say that God is glorious, what are we saying? God has tremendous value for who he is, for what he does, for what he offers. All these things, right? He is valuable. So when we say, when God tells us here that as believers, we are, we have this perspective. We, we are to glory to find value in tribulations. The word tribulation is that idea of pressure, very, very literally pressure. I think it was, the, the lexicon say it was used even of the pressing of grapes, right? So you think about how do you get juice? Well, you've got to press to the point in which the outer skin bursts and the juice comes out, right? This is the idea behind the word tribulation. What does it mean to rejoice here or to glory? It's to find value in something or someone. To rejoice, we might say a glory, or we might say exult. It is the result of a person's estimation of the value of something which they have attained or some experience or something they wish to attain. It is the calculation of value. And what you glory in, what you value, what I uh, rejoice in is really very individual to, to each one of us, right? Some of you might go home and, get, and find tremendous value in something that I would say, that doesn't do nothing for me, right? Some of you might get so excited to go home and eat a certain meal, and I'm like, I actually don't even care for that, you know? Stewed cabbage or something, right, you know? You see, but see, we have, we, and actually, I do like stewed cabbage. It's okay. I'm not going to go on record as saying I don't like them, you know? Um, we, we learn to eat anything, right? So that's important. But anyway, um, see how each of us are individuals, and what you value from your experience, what you've learned, what you've sought out to learn, would draw you to make a, calculation and estimation of something another person might have his estimation and God is telling us that he wants us to learn to think like him about tribulations so that when we see things we make this this estimation we make this calculation in our mind right and we say not oh that's upsetting or oh I hate that or oh just my luck you know and when, instead of responding the way that our flesh would, we see these things the way God sees them. And it's a totally different equation. And it gets a totally different answer, doesn't it, when you see it from God's perspective. So this is the idea of glorying or valuing tribulations. Now, here's the thing. What is the next statement in Romans 5? What's the next statement after uh, it says, we glory in tribulations? What's the next word? Oh, sorry, I, I, you're right. We glory in tribulations also knowing. That's the word I wanted. I, didn't, I should have looked down quicker to see the word also was snuck in there. That's right. We glory in tribulation also knowing. Now, the word knowing is a participle. And you say, oh, those are big words. But, you know, even kids can understand this, right? When you have a participle, it's kind of like a verb. What it's doing is it's telling us more information about the main thing you were just saying. Right, kids? The main thing is... What's the main statement here? We find value and we glory, we rejoice in tribulations. But the answer is, how do you do that? Knowing. Brother and sister, I'm, I'm speaking to people that I, I, I assume are believers. This is a message. These words are for believers, right? This is Paul, the apostle, writing to the church in Rome. This is for the believers. Brother and sister, if you don't know what he's just about to say, you will not be able to see tribulations the way God does. This is the key. 
He doesn't say, we just glory in tribulations because we just do. We glory knowing. If you don't get this knowing, if we don't get this knowledge down, if we don't understand it, meditate on it, ask God to teach us about it, look and see how it correlates to other areas. This knowing right here is how we glory. We don't glory because, well, preacher said so, and I just choose to believe it, right? We glory knowing. So can we focus on this here? Knowing. What do we know? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And I love each of these words. Each of these words is precious. Each of these words has meaning. The word, okay, we've talked about that the tribulation pressures, difficulties. They work. Literally, they produce. They work out. They thoroughly work in us and produce in us patience. What is patience? I like the word patience in the original language. It literally means to stay under, to remain under. And that's really what patience is, isn't it? When you're patient, let's see, for kids, we got some kids here tonight. When your brother, your big brother, I had a big brother, and he would tease me sometimes, right? And he would do things that I didn't like sometimes, right? And uh, if your big brother or your big sister does something and you really don't like it, what is your first, let's just say, the first thought that normally comes to your mind when you're a kid? And even an adult, right? <laughs> what's the first, what's the fleshly reaction, right? As soon as this person or, or any kind of pressure comes, what do we want to do? The person or the pressure comes and they come right on top of us. What's our first human reaction? Get away. I'm not going to hang around this. I don't want to be under that. I don't want to experience that pressure. Get away. But the actual word patience that God gives us in the scriptures is staying under, remaining under pressure. Now, it's impossible to talk about all the nuances and everything that this could mean. We're not, of course, I'm not in any way suggesting if, if someone's in an abusive situation or a life-threatening situation, there are some things that we don't just say, oh, God wants to teach me patience. I think I'll stay in this place that's about to blow up or something like that, right? Or even in a, a, maybe a very physically dangerous situation, right? We're not saying that. But this concept is there are pressures and difficulties that are going to be a part of our life. And God wants them to be a part of our life. He does. God is not this... This um, health and wealth gospel, happy, just wanting you to feel good all the time, God. No, he loves you too much. He sees your, your weaknesses and faults too much. He has something glorious he wants you to become. He wants you to be like Jesus Christ. And he loves you too much to let you stay where you're at. And so pressures come. Patience is not leaving the situation of pressure. Patience is remaining under, literally. Kids, you can do this. You can literally see this picture in your mind because God put the picture in the words. The picture is when your mom and dad come, when big sister, big brother come, or somebody is any way they put pressure on you. Even a child can get this picture in their head. I'm being pressured. And God wants me to learn patience. I should stay right here, right underneath that. If it's of God, if it's a good thing, I mean, you know, it may not be what I want, it may be difficult, but it's, it's not something that's outside of God's design, right? It's not outside of his way. I just need to learn to bear this pressure. And then, what does he say? Patience then, and it's understood, the same verb above, worketh, that will work out or produce. Patience worketh, what? Experience. 
Now, I know in English, our first thought experience is just, you know, I've done something, I've, I've experienced something, so now I know, right? That's very true. And that is very much a part of this word. But, but the word is deeper than that. The word experience is literally the word in Greek from which English we get the word document. What does it mean to have a document or as an action to document something? What are we doing when we document? Does anybody work with papers and document? Does anybody do stuff like that? Okay. What are we doing when we document? Typically it's papers or maybe now it's all electrical, right? But I think of a traditional, you know, the person's got this big, big, uh, all these uh, pull-out drawers, right? I, when I was in Bible college, one of the jobs I had to do sometimes, people remember Miss Robinette, I had to go in her office and, um, and there was like, she'd give me a stack of papers and say, one of these in every student's file. And I had to go in one by one, you know. <laughs> and I had a, Mr. Robinette, we had a great time, but um, that did get boring as far as the individual documentation goes. But uh, that's called documenting, right? So what is this idea? Why in English do we have that idea or concept of document? How does that relate to experience? The word experience is talking about the testing, the trying, or we might say the proving of something so that there is now evidence as to what it really is. I want you to consider, you consider as far as an illustration would be um, refining silver. And, and I'm, I'm, I have not gone deep into this, so I don't want to misspeak. My brother's gotten into some forging and he showed me some metal and how to put things together. So I'm sure others could speak much more fully about these processes, but I've, I've, I've read some and watched some. And it's, it's really a fascinating thing, isn't it? The basics, and, and again, who made this this way? The creator. You know, the creation is all a revelation. Every aspect of it is telling us and teaching us things. And you think about how, maybe not everybody knows, but I'm sure many of us do, but it's a good reminder, right? If you get some kind of ore, some kind of rock that has silver in it, you're, you're not going to go out, you know, young people, we're not going to go out and, you know, go and just take a, a pickaxe and boom, big old piece of pure, 9.999% pure silver. I don't think so anyway, right? How do we get these pure, pure gold things? Like I have a, a, a uh, band here on my ring, right? It's not pure gold, but it's, it's very highly. has a lot of gold in it, right? How do we get metals with so much purity in them? See, all these rocks that we find out, they're all mixed with other things. But if you want to get the value, that silver, that gold, there's really just one way to get it. Pressure. Some kind, now I know there's with science that they've done other things to get and use magnetism and all kinds of things. It's, it's fascinating, right? But still, this basic concept is pressure. When a, a silver refiner, what would he do? He would put this ore into a vat. It would get superheated. And what would happen to that ore? It just melts apart. And what happens next? It's pretty neat to see. I've never done it in person, but I've seen videos. All of a sudden, all these particles, this stuff, it looks maybe a different color. It rises to the surface. And then the, the man who's heating up in the kiln, you know, he's heating up the, the ore, he can sit there and literally scrape off what's called dross. It's the impurities. It's the stuff you don't want that's all mixed in. But it's all mixed in, and you can't just go and pick it out. you got to break it down. And when it's broken down and really hot, you can scrape it. It comes right to the surface. Getting under pressure, it comes right to the surface. Scrapes it off. And we could say, well, that's great. That was quick and fast. One problem. You don't get it all in one, one melt. So what does the guy do? What does the refiner do? He lets it cool down. And then he heats it up again. 
And guess what happens to that? And I'm sure there's more to it, but then he heats it again, and then more dross comes out. He can scrape off more. He lets it cool. Heats it again. Scrapes off more. Heats it again. Scrapes off more. And I think the scripture talks about that in, is it Psalms or was it Proverbs? I'm forgetting. It says the word of God is pure words as silver tried in a fire seven times, right? So God's word is very, very pure. It's that idea. But think about it. There was how are you going to get that kind of purity, that, or not just purity, but value. How are you going to get the value to be able to take that ore and actually have gold or silver or other precious metals to use for valuable things? There's just one way. That metal has to be patient, doesn't it? It has to remain under the pressure, the heat, the fire. It has to be willing to stay there and be, it's sometimes, in a sense, melted down. And guess what it does? The impurities. When you, think about it as an illustration here, when you are under pressure, what typically comes out of us? A lot of our impurities, don't they? When you're really stressed about things, is that when patience just tends to just come out? Any of us have been married for a while, right? When you get tired or, you're, or you're, um, you're under a lot of pressure on different things, that's when you can tend to be short with your spouse. Well, just hurry up or whatever, right? You know, we're going to be late for church. All that is is pressure. And your impurities are coming right to the surface. But what does God want to do with that? More than that God wants you, um, more than the fact that God wants your wife to be ready sooner for church, God wants your impurities worked out, Dad. More than even your wife being ready for church on time. And that's the truth, isn't it? As the man, we're more concerned about being on time. We're not so concerned about the impurity of our impatience. But God says, remain under. Learn. And let the impurities rise. Let the Spirit of God scrape off the dross. And then you'll think you've learned something. And then God will turn up the heat for the second time. And then you'll think you really learned something. And then God will do it a third time. And a fourth and a fifth, right? You get the idea, right? And I think with us, if you men, ladies, or anything like me, I need more than seven times. We need a lot. Patience works experience. And then experience, what does experience produce? Hope. There's no shortcuts. Not a one. You say, you know what? I like the... Okay, I can deal with the tribulation, but can I just jump to the experience? <laughs> no, there's no shortcuts here at all. God wants us to grow in these, these areas. But I'm not so sure that we're so ready and willing as we might think we are. What ways, in what ways do we see these kind of um, impurities rise to the surface. You know, it, it actually, one thing that God was showing me is it, I, it really seems to be, you can, if, if we're blind to it, right? But if, if God, if the Spirit of God would just open our eyes, so much of these impurities are really just right there. It is so obvious, but we're often blind to it. Uh, I mentioned earlier, just these little things. It's, it's, it's really about a whole perspective of life. Right? It's not just, a, okay, I need to learn this. All right, yes. Okay, next time my kids aren't doing what I want, I just need to be patient. It's, it's far beyond that. It's a whole way of viewing life from the very foundation is that God's design for my life is not ease. God's ultimate design for my life is not 
to just sail through with no difficulties. As parents, and we've had 10 children now, my wife and I, you know, as a parent, when you find out you're having your first child, or if it may be your 20th child, we have all these thoughts and concerns, don't we? There was one of our children that when we did an ultrasound, they, they called us later, and, they, and we, you get that kind of dreaded phone call, right? You know, where it was like, um, now, we don't know anything for sure. It could have just been a spot on the, you know, but, but this, if we're not sure, we'll, you know, but just we have to tell you this just in case, right? And there could be a, a, something in the brain or whatever, you know. Who, who wants to get that kind of a phone call? Nobody, right? And I can remember my wife and I have had these conversations where we said, you know, and I've tried to encourage her as well that, we should not expect life to just be, you know what I mean? It's almost like if I could just have my three kids and none of them have any major problems, or if I could just live to 55 or 60, whatever, if I could just get through life without having any major health concern or whatever, I'll be happy. Like, that is the totally wrong perspective. That's, that's truly anti what the scripture is saying. I'd, of course, I still don't want any of my children to have physical problems, right? It's not that we are asking God to do that, but we ought not to have a perspective that, oh, my life should be simple and easy. Can we think about it politically, right? In America, we have elections right on the corner, right? What do we all want and desire? Of course we want and desire godly leaders. We want to see people not pushing ungodly things or allowing ungodly things. And, and that's not wrong. And we should vote accordingly and, and ask God for wisdom in these things. I encourage, we should vote, we should do these things. But do we really feel, do we really believe is our attitude, our perspective that we ought to have it all easy? And if it gets tough, then something's wrong and we have a bad attitude. And we turn, some, it's, we turn to anger. Some turn to fear. Some people don't get angry when things go bad. They just fall apart emotionally and they get scared. And they're just truly scared. Well, you know what anger is? Anger is the same thing. If you're angry, you're scared. Now, as a, a man, myself, who often has struggled with anger, something God was working on me about, it's still fear. Because I'm not in control. I'm not in control. But isn't that what God is saying here? Tribulations are things that you're not in control of. But God wants to work. You stay under. You learn everything God wants you to learn. And there will be documentation in the end of this. You will see, there will, be, there will be a purifying that takes place, right? And from that, you will have hope. And let me just leave you with this here then, the last verse. And I think that'll be sufficient. Verse 5 says, about this, now we've gone through the process, right? Starting with this godly perspective of, of uh, tribulations, producing, uh, then we need patience, and from that experience, and then this hope, expectation, but notice what it says about hope. And hope, this hope that we can attain through Christ, through tribulations, this hope makes not ashamed. You know what this hope is? No disappointment. Isn't that what we're all afraid of? Some ultimate disappointment. When you're angry that something isn't going the way you want, maybe you're angry because of this or you're fearful because of that. Really it is, is there's, there's something that you are disappointed about or that you think is coming that in which will produce disappointment, right? Oh, I wanted this. I thought this was the right thing and it didn't work out. Hope is what will produce the lacking of that future or whatever it be, today, tomorrow, that lack of disappointment. Whether it be when the Lord returns 
in any of these things. I want you to consider, uh, this is what came to mind, the, the many people who are martyred for their faith, right? How is it that they could be mocked, sometimes stripped of their clothes, sometimes tortured in horrible ways in public places, etc.? How could these believers go and, and do this and they weren't, in a sense, embarrassed? And they went through it joyfully. They had hope. And that hope did not disappoint them. They went joyfully. Some of these men, uh, we've been looking at some of this recently and just was thrilled. You know, some of these men, they sang as they were burned, right? And women too, right? Many of these people. Hope makes not ashamed. And I want to leave you with that then, this, this statement here right underneath it. Because it says because. So this is the foundation underneath this. The hope that doesn't make ashamed, with, there'll be no disappointment. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he's given unto us. I want you to consider, you know, it says the love of God. We often think of love as just, oh, you know, the, the warm, fuzzy feeling, you know. So God just puts in me this warm, fuzzy feeling for others. I don't think that's what he's talking about. The word love is much more than an emotional thing, although emotions is definitely tied to it, right? Think about this. What is this that God wants us to learn? He wants us to have a totally different perspective of tribulations, difficulties, right? He wants us to see that the pressures and the things that can happen in life, they are intended to bring us through things, to teach us things, to bring out impurities, right? Patience and hope. But what it is is that if we allow God to do that in our life, what it's producing is his perspective. So, and think about it. The love of God in your heart. What it is, your heart is your inner person, the real you, the deep down, like where, where you come up with your thoughts and ideas, your feelings and emotions, everything about you, that center of you, right in there, the love of God just goes. But what is that love? Could I put it in a different way? It's his view. It's his way of thinking. It's his way of seeing. It's his way of experiencing. It's his way of everything. The love, the perspective, the person, the, everything about him, that can become, that can just fill your very soul. And that's why he says that hope will not, this kind of expectation that's by the Spirit of God working in us through difficulties, that there will not be disappointment. But we have to submit to the process. We have to submit to the storm, the, to, the, to the whales, or whatever else it might be, right? To the worms eating our gourds, you know? We have to submit, as we heard this morning from the book of Jonah, we have to submit to what the Lord is wanting to teach us. There's more that could be said, more maybe that uh, would help. But I want us to consider, you know, in just this in closing, what about, though, because I know someone here is thinking, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think about being persecuted for my faith or I'm at work and I witnessed I'm getting in trouble or, you know, for my stand for God. You know, those are tribulations. But, but Paul J., what about the stuff in my life where I messed up? I blew it. And I'm experiencing pressure for my sins. Can I encourage you with this, too? That even when we bring on those things, I'm still convinced it's the same. Now, God didn't want you to sin, right? God didn't want me to do these things. But the pressures and the difficulties that come with it, when we have done wrong, God doesn't want us to, when the pressure comes from our sins, to go, oh, let me get out of this. 
That's a special time to say, maybe I better stay under this for a minute here and figure out what am I doing? What have I done? If, if that's the condition, if that's the situation, right? So, brother and sister, you might struggle with guilt. You might struggle with, um, um, you know, that, that question. But what about the stuff that I did? And, you know, all of us have to raise our hand. We have. Anybody here experiencing pressure still in your life from a previous decision that was wrong? We do. But God will use it too. And instead of getting angry, instead of getting afraid, we either end of that spectrum, we should instead say, there is something valuable here. And I must turn to God with all my heart. David said it this way, Psalm 40. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Sounds passive, doesn't it? But it's not. You could say it this way. I intensively focused on the Lord. And he heard my cry. And he lifted me up out of the pit and set my feet upon a rock. And all those things, right? If we would intensively seek him, then we can grow. And we can see these things. I pray that the Lord would continue this in my life. If you're like me, you've got lots of things in your life you don't like. <laughs> you know? There's lots of things in my life I wish weren't that way. But what is your response to it? What is your attitude towards it? If you say things like this, just my luck. I want to tell you, I, that attitude is not according to Scripture. I heard somebody say once, when something didn't work out, ah, the story of my life was just a little thing to say. You know, we can get these attitudes, and they actually become phrases. They become almost a motto of our life, right? But we don't realize how impure and how unholy and how unhelpful they are. May God work in us to change our perspective, to see the tribulations and difficulties. Don't seek to just run from them. Instead, stay under them and say, God, what do you want me to learn? What do you have for me? God is more interested in seeing the impurities come out of my life than he is in seeing the difficulty removed. Maybe someday the difficulty can be removed. But God wants to see the impurities first. He loves you that much. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. May God help us to learn this, not just tonight, but keep going, right? Because you'll, you'll be, if you're like me, when God first taught me, I was like, I got it. A few months later, it's like, I don't think I got it. I think I need to go back through some fire and, and relearn this. So may the Lord help us in this. Let's pray. And Pastor, I'll turn over to you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to just open the word. God, would you teach us this? Would, would you help me, Lord, not to play the hypocrite? And, and say one thing and live another. Lord, help us to, to see the pressures. You have a plan in them. Lord, may we grow, may we change, may we be like David and intensively seek your face to see you change and grow us. And stop saying those uh, un, unhelpful things. Stop having those attitudes and instead rejoice and look to you for the glory that will come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and have a time of invitation. Um, if we could all stand, we'll bow our heads, close our eyes. If Carrie doesn't mind, or Amanda's already at the piano. I love how this kind of dovetailed with the story of Jonah, because if you remember, Jonah had to go through his learning process multiple times, just like a lot of times we have to be purified over and over and over again. Um, but the key to Jonah's growth was in accepting what God was doing, just like Paul Jay has talked about, where we remain under the trial and the tribulation that God has brought into our lives.
Let's, uh, let's just ask the Lord to help us to have the patience, the, the endurance to, to stay under the things that God has brought into our lives today. Let's pray. Pastor Carsey, do you mind dismissing us in prayer tonight? Our Father, we do thank you again tonight for the privilege that we've had to assemble ourselves together as you exhorted us to do. Thank you for leading us to be obedient to that and to surrender and to come this evening. And we just thank you again for all of the blessing of the service, uh, the fellowship time together of singing, and uh, even the presentation of the needs of our missionaries and those in the aware of their ministry needs. We ask for your blessing and your help to us as we go our separate ways.